I know a couple of children. They're they're not children anymore. Actually, they're they're grown. They're both married. They spent the first seven or eight years of their lives, their brother and a sister, in a in an orphanage in Russia. I just like you to think for a moment what it would be like to grow up in an orphanage in Russia. <laughs> it's not that they didn't receive care, they received care. The people who were taking care of them there took pretty good care of them as far as we know. But then uh, I think when they were seven and eight years old they were adopted by an American family and they moved from Russia to Tennessee. <laughs> and they came into a family and they started going to school. I think that changed their lives. They came into a pretty good family, actually, that not only met their needs, but welcomed them as their own children. And uh, they, this family has three older children. And these two younger children are as much of that family as the other three. I think it changed their lives. Uh, what if someone grew up, really grew up until adulthood in an orphanage? What sort of life? Of course, some people grow up in the most difficult circumstances and do perfectly well. But it uh, certainly changed the odds, we might say. I want us to think about the difference between growing up in a family that is... Uh, always perfectly open and honest and unconditionally loving and a family that might be the opposite of that or no family at all. What would be the difference? Last week I asked you to think about this question. What sort of person would you be if you had grown up in a family that was always perfectly open and honest and unconditionally loving. Now, we grew up in a wide variety of families. Uh, I, I would regard my family as unconditionally loving and generally honest. 
What if it was perfect in these ways? Perfectly open and honest and unconditionally loving. I think when I hear those words, I can imagine the power such a family would impart to those who grow up in it. Power to resist all kinds of uh, idiocy, stupidity, foolishness in the world. Uh, A person who grew up in such a family would have a great deal of confidence, but also humility. Because a family that's unconditionally loving is always accepting. A family such as this never rejects anyone in in the family. And yet, such a family doesn't leave such a person to remain an idiot, to remain foolish, because we're honest. It's hard to deal with honesty sometimes. We might be thankful that we grew up in a family that wasn't always honest. Maybe we grew up in a family that's uh, indulgent in this respect. And so we don't always tell you what your problem is. Well, you know, if no one tells you what your problem is, guess what happens to your problem? You keep it. Well, you might figure it out for yourself, but isn't it great to have other people help you figure out how you need to grow and develop? And if I live in this unconditionally loving and honest place, those people figure out how to communicate a correction as a positive opportunity. I think growing up in such a family would create a great opportunity for a very strong character and for great confidence combined with humility. What a powerful combination that is to be confident and humble. We've been talking about what it means to grow up in the family of God and we uh, just sang all these songs, we're the family of God, the body of Christ, the household of faith. We've said a bunch of times, we're the tribe of the one little word. One little word shall fell the enemy. I don't have to speak loud. I don't have to act powerful. I don't have to do actually anything. 
All I need to defeat all the power of the enemy is the one little word. You remember what the one little word is? Abba. Because I don't have to be powerful because my father has all the power. And he has fixed his affection, his love on me. So I am utterly safe at all times, even when it seems otherwise. What would it be like if you grew up in a family that's perfectly open and honest and unconditionally loving? You see, we all need to grow up in that family. And God has established that family. And this is a little fellowship of that family. And we always receive these things from him, our perfect father. And so the power is always available to us. The power of confidence mixed with humility because our Father is always absolutely truthful and always unconditionally accepting of his children. Those who have put their faith in the Savior, in Jesus Christ, have done so because of the ministry of the Spirit in their hearts and minds, so they recognize the reality of the sacrifice of Christ and they trust in that and in that they have been reconciled to God and are being formed into the household of faith, into the family of God, into the body of Christ. Those are facts that do not depend on how you feel about them or what you think. We are all the children of the family of God. I don't know if you've noticed this about children. They don't always appreciate what their parents do for them. Many of you have children, and you know what I mean. They, if you have really good kids, occasionally appreciate what you do for them. Let me ask you, parents, if your children do not thank you for their dinner, do they still get dinner tomorrow? Yes. Because your care for them does not depend, really, hopefully, on anything. Now, we're all sort of weak in the parenting department, unlike our Father God. And so from time to time, our children can frustrate us to the point where we don't take care of them like we should or could. But our care for them is in imperfectly unconditional. And when that is not the case, that is one definition of a dysfunctional family.
So we are in this family where our father is always, always perfectly exhibiting these qualities. He is absolutely truthful all the time and always unconditionally loving. He always does what is right and good for his children. We, his children, do not always see it and appreciate it. But his doing it does not depend in any way whatsoever on our seeing it and appreciating it. It just is. He does take care of us. He doesn't deprive us of dinner because we didn't say thank you for last night's dinner. Jesus said, if you, being evil, know how to take care of your children, don't you think your heavenly Father knows how to take care of you? Now, we've been looking at this passage in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, and I'd like to just read it to you again. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I hope you hear how huge that is. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves of, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by, what, by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And we've noticed from this text that each one of us has a place, a role. Uh, this is true of all effective families. Each person has a, a, a place, a, a relation, a role in relation to the other members of the family. I'm a brother to my siblings. I have a sister. I have a mother. I have a father. These are roles. And often in families, we uh, come to see our identity in the various roles we play in the family. So, you know, in one family they might say, well, he's the funny one, and he's the studious one, and he's the athlete, or she's the caretaker. People... Uh, find out who they are in these roles and relationships in a family. And that is what's happening in this family. You are not here by accident. God has given you to us, at least for the day today, for this moment in this service. Because God has placed each one of us into the body just as he desires. So, each of us has a place. You belong here in the church. Therefore, we accept you. 
I don't always like everyone in the church. I know you think I'm some sort of, you know, spiritual superhero or something just because they attached the label pastor to my name. But I don't always like everyone in the church. But I accept everyone all the time. Because I love everyone in the church, even when I don't like them right now. It's a community of the one little word, Abba. It's the community of unconditional acceptance. It's easy to forget to communicate that to each other. So, each of us has a role and we do our roles and we grow together, the scripture says. We we develop the unity of the spirit because we each possess the spirit and together we possess the spirit. And so we develop the unity of the spirit and we notice that this revolves around a couple of things. Faith and knowledge of the Son of God. As we know Jesus and trust Jesus, guess what? We come together. These are the features of our unity. These are the things that make us one. We are not one because we are all alike. We are not one because we're all uh, from the same country or speak the same language. We are not one because we all have exactly the same theology, though as we grow together, our theology will tend to converge. We are not one because we always agree about how everything ought to operate in the church. No, we are one because we know and trust the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when we come together on Sunday morning, what this is about is remembering we know and trust the Lord Jesus Christ. What this table in which we will partake this morning is about is remembering we are the people of the one little word, the people of the new covenant, the people of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, the people who trust him and not ourselves. That's who we are. We grow in that unity. Sometimes other kinds of unity are good. Sometimes they're just utterly unnecessary. What if we, Paul imagines in 1 Corinthians, what if we all had the same spiritual gift, for example? What if this were a, a, a church of uh, everyone had the gift of helping hands? Well, we'd have a very clean building We'd have everything straight, everything, all the dishes would be done. And we would be a little bit biblically illiterate. Because we don't have a teacher. And we might find ourselves getting very discouraged in the world because we don't have a, a 
encourager, uh, an exhorter. You see, all the gifts, we need them all. And each of us brings different spiritual gifts, different natural gifts. You are an utterly unique person, and every person has a place, and we need everyone. Everyone is both indispensable and dispensable. God could move you somewhere else and put someone else and blah, blah. What I am always thinking when people come and go from the church is, what is God doing bringing that one here? When you came into the church, God was up to something for the benefit of the whole body. I, I need to move on. We grow so that we will no longer be children. You see that in the text? Till we all attain to the unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children. Now we noticed a few weeks ago that Jesus said the kingdom of God is only for children. He says unless you turn and become a child, forget it, you're not in. And yet here Paul is saying, uh, so that we may no longer be children. And they're talking about two different things. I'm never going to stop being the son of my parents. My mother is always continual. I'm nearly 60 years old, and she can't help herself mothering me. I'm getting ready this afternoon. I'm going to fly. I'm going to be staying with my mother for a couple of weeks. And she's going to take care of me, sometimes in ways that just annoy me. Sorry, Mom. I'm going to pretend... But everything she does in relation to me is being my mother. And in relation to God, we always stand as little children, as people who simply trust him, people of the one little word. You know, that's a child's word, Abba. That's not a grown-up word. A grown-up word is dad or father. Child's word is daddy, abba, papa. And we always maintain this relationship of simple, even simple-minded dependence upon his provision, especially his provision for our reconciliation in Christ. And that is always, always, always resting in his care like a baby. But Paul says here that we would no longer be children. And what does he mean by children? Well, he says it right here, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. When we grow up in the stable, loving, honest family of God, one of the things we grow into is people who are stable in our understanding of true 
doctrine, the true doctrine of the gospel. When we grow up in the fellowship of the church, in the loving, honest fellowship of the church, and not all churches have these qualities. But when we grow up in that, we also grow up in our understanding of the actual gospel. We develop a sensitivity to false teaching. We become resistant to bad doctrine and tricky people. When we experience the truth in love given by God and shared in the church. It's powerful. It's a powerful defense against all kinds of sinful foolishness. I think we become resistant uh, like a like a child who grows up in that sort of family becomes resistant to uh, the people who would sell them the quick, quick pleasure at, gr at the great expense of success in life. A person who grows up in a truthful, loving family is way, is not tempted by a drug dealer. And as we grow up, we're not tempted by the crazy ideas the world is constantly pitching at us. Every wind of doctrine, which shifts around. One week it's this, and the next week it's this. And everyone knows something that's utterly false. And we become stable in our understanding of true doctrine. We become resistant to bad doctrine and tricky people. Sin gets less appealing because we see the foolishness of it because we live in an honest, loving family of God, the body of Christ. And by the way, this is not just a function of my own personal development. Like I develop, you know, theological knowledge and, you know, I understand these things myself. It's not just that. It's also a function of your close connection to the family. So, for example, uh, you know, when, when I was a kid, I might have heard of something in the neighborhood, you know, that sounded like fun to me. And, you know, we come home and at dinner that night, I say, hey, I heard about this and it sounded fun to me. And my big brother says, that's so stupid. And instantly my opinion of that thing will change. Because here's the thing about big brothers. You can't help looking up to them. Well, so uh, this is how we function, or should. 
so that your defense against bad thinking and incorrect understanding of the scriptures or anything else is a function not only of how much you know, but how much we know. And you might come in and you say, man, I heard this preacher. And somebody who knows better says, oh, you better be careful about that guy. Because, you know, he says. And suddenly I'm, I gain and I've been defended against a wind of doctrine. I become stable. I become powerful in my faith. And it stays focused where it ought to be. So we are no longer children. We're not just whatever anyone tells us we believe. But we are children because we trust our God, our Abba, because of the love he has exhibited on the cross of Christ. And of course, because of the functioning of the Spirit of God in our very souls. So it says, speaking the truth, we grow. Speaking the truth in love. You see, we have this from God all the time. I have it, whether I notice it or not, it's still going on all the time. And all we're called upon to do here is share what we have received. You cannot share it if you have not received it. If you don't know Christ, you do not have this to give. Speaking the truth in love. The truth here is, is the person of Christ. And by the way, any other thing that happens to be true. The truth we know in the person of Christ by the word of God in scripture, by the lived wisdom of the church, and by the diligent exploration of creation. We know the truth. We share the truth. But we do not share the truth meanly. I always present the truth to you as an opportunity to you. Even if this means I'm correcting you. Even if I'm telling you you're wrong, I'm telling you you're wrong in a way that gives you the opportunity to be right. Oh, it, that is, that is, that's hard to do. I just have to say that's hard to do. It's very easy to just speak the truth. Well, this is a cultural thing, isn't it? In some cultures, we err on the loving side and we don't tell people the truth. And in other cultures, we tell the truth, but we don't do it so nicely, so we present the truth in such a way that it hurts unnecessarily. And we, don't, we forget about the love. This is a... It's hard. Jesus did this, you know, he's full of truth and grace, the scripture says. I don't know how he pulled that off. I can do, it's like I can do one or the other, but doing them both together, challenging. I need the power of the love of God. I need to have it in order to get it, give it. I need to know the love of Christ. This is why Paul prays in the 
previous chapter, in chapter 3 of the book of Ephesians, that you would know, that you would know, oh, that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith. Wait, I'm already a Christian. Christ dwells in my heart. Well, but Christ needs to dwell in your heart through faith so that you can see the love, the great magnitude of it, the height, width, breadth, depth. It's four dimensions. What the heck? It's the love, the love. It's so that you can begin to comprehend the incomprehensible love of Christ so that you can speak the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love, we grow. You know, love is a decisive sacrificial action. It's not just emotional affection, though it certainly contains that. It's not just a feeling I have for you. It's how I treat you. How I decide to treat you. I, you know, parents, they decide to provide for their children even when they don't feel particularly affectionate toward those children. And when they do, they're loving them. It's sacrificial, as we learned. It's sacrificial, it's unconditional, it's beneficial, it's intentional. It's sacrificial action for the true benefit of someone without regard to their response. In other words, when I love you, when I show, when I make a sacrifice for your benefit, I'm doing it whether you get it or not. This is what Jesus did, right? When God demonstrates his love for us, he demonstrates his love for us knowing full well that we cannot possibly adequately appreciate it. It's a demonstration of him. It's not an exchange. It's grace upon grace upon grace. Always, always. Now he says, when we speak the truth in love, we grow in every way. <laughs> uh, you know, when the Bible uses these absolute terms like every, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way. Here's what I think. If you were brought up in a family that always, always communicated unconditional love with true honesty, you would be a very mature person. That is, that's like power. You would be able to resist wrong and do right. You would be well-disciplined. Uh, I'm speaking to myself now. You'd probably have a clean house so that when someone was coming to stay in your house, it wouldn't take a whole week to get it ready. You'd be strong. We are to grow in every way, heart, soul, mind, body. And we're, remember, growing together. We're being strong. This church is growing. This church is being built up in heart, in soul, in mind. That's how, how well we think 
embody how we act in the world. And we're not just growing, we're growing into something, into Christ. When we say we're the body of Christ, we mean that we are the manifest representation of the person of Christ in the world today. Let me say that again. That was a complicated sentence. When we say we are the body of Christ, we are saying that we are the manifest presence of the person of the Son of God in the world today. We are the thing that makes him visible in the world. How are we doing on that? We are growing into it. That's how we're doing. According to this text, speaking the truth in love, we grow into that. We become that. This is my prayer. My prayer, because only the Spirit of God can make this happen with any group of people. I mean, look around the room, man. How's he going to do it? My prayer is that the Spirit of God will unite us, will grow us by speaking the truth in love. We will grow into Christ. So that we actually, coming here, find Christ. And when we go into the world, people see Christ in the fellowship of this church. When every part does its part. When every part does its part. You have some part or another, but don't forget, your part is not a job. Your part is not a job. Your part is you fitting somewhere, somehow. Sometimes this involves some work. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you fitting is you in your house at home you know, in your closet at home praying for the fellowship of this church. (coughs) It's a lot of different things. It depends on you. What are your gifts? I don't know. Here's what I think. Engage in the fellowship of the church in whatever way you find personally satisfying. I'm going to say that again. Engage in the fellowship of the church. Engage in the fellowship of the church. Don't just attend services. Engage in the fellowship. But do it in whatever way you find personally satisfying. Joyful service. Paul says, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. So sometimes when I'm talking about giving, I will, t- I will tell you, if you're not happy to give it, keep it. If you can think of something else better to do with your money, do that. The Lord doesn't need it. We don't need it. The Lord provides. You participate. You can engage in the fellowship of the body of Christ through giving. That's op- that opportunity is available to you. 
If it doesn't bring joy, forget it. Don't bother. You know, we have people who clean the church. We have somebody who preaches. We could use more than one of those. We have uh, people who run stuff. We have all kinds of things. People doing, people having home fellowship group meetings. People managing this, that, or the other thing. There's lots of things people are doing here. You can do any one of those things or anything else you think of if you find it satisfying to serve the body in that way. This is a very basic elementary principle of the love, honest church. Joyful service. Now, that doesn't mean every minute that you're serving, you're having a blast, that you're, it's like a party. No, but it's what you love doing. You love it so much, you would suffer to do it. I don't enjoy every minute of study that goes into preparing a message. Uh-oh, pedestal. I don't enjoy everything I do as pastor, but I love being the pastor of this church. I cannot imagine the Lord asking me to go anywhere else and do anything else. It is a joyful service. I can't afford to do it for free, but I would try. Please don't ask me to do that. Every part doing its part, we are built up. What are we? We're built up in the last word in this text. Building itself up in love. <clears throat> in love. If we ask, what's the measure of the church? The answer is love. If we ask, how does the church grow according to scripture? The answer is in love. In, like the song says, the tie that binds. What this text says at the beginning of the chapter, the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. The experience in real life of the reconciliation of the blood of Christ, love. We become connected to one another. We become the family of God. And we are all here needing that perfect father. Uh, <clears throat> I think I was raised pretty well, but I needed to be raised better. Needed. But the thing is, I am being raised better because I have Abba. I am in the family I need to be in, and so are you. I just encourage you to take advantage of the opportunity in whatever way seems good to you. We come this morning to the table 
this remembrance of the body and the blood of Christ. I'm reminded in Romans, God demonstrates his love in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's what we celebrate at this table. We don't come to this table with anything in our pocket. We don't come to this table because we deserve to be here. In fact, people who deserve to be here are not allowed. People who are relying on their own righteousness are rejected from this place. People who trust in the death of Christ come and get it. Come and get it. If you have received his sacrifice for you, if you have put your trust, if you have embraced Abba in Christ and by the Spirit, this is your place. This is your table. Last time I said, uh, in my family every day, six o'clock, every day. You had to be home for dinner at six o'clock, unless you had a really good reason not to be. This is the family table. This is it. And we come together, we are the community that says, we take what he gives. That's all. Father, we give you thanks. We give you thanks. We celebrate your love in the sacrifice of Christ. Amen.